Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingis serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the future of customer engagement, why it pays to read the fine print, and how human-to-human interactions are the key to customer experience success. Engaging, squinting, and interacting. Oh my. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. So Joey, I happened upon a great web resource for customer experience professionals, and frankly, anyone even interested in customer experience, which I have to assume is our entire listening audience, seeing as how they are currently listening to our show. (laughs) And, And Joey, this is no ordinary site. This site was recently named the best CX thought leadership portal in the industry by Paul Greenberg on Zenet. Ooh la la, I'm intrigued. Tell me more, Dan. Well, the site features articles and videos across six topics. First is commerce, which includes e-commerce, B2B, and B2C. The second is customer experience, which includes user experience, CRM, or customer relationship management, public sector, and employee engagement. The third is customer service. Fourth is sales. Fifth is marketing. And the sixth is purpose, which includes diversity, gender equality, etc. And what's cool is that the site is designed as an experience. There are no pop-up ads or autoplay videos. All the articles can be read in less than 10 minutes. And when you subscribe, you only receive content updates, no sales pitches. In fact, not only don't they sell the mailing list, they don't even let their own company use it for anything else. So this is an exclusive club. This actually sounds too good to be true. All right, what's the website we're talking about? Patience, my dear Joey. I have been loving the thought leadership on this site because it's not all internal people. They incorporate many different contributors throughout the industry. They have created a robust array of content and ideas for leaders in pretty much any industry, whether you're in commerce, marketing, sales, CX, service, tech. And in fact... The site has more than 300 page one Google returns, so you know it's highly credible. And as you and our listeners know, thought leadership builds trust and authority. So the more we learn, the more we're able to articulate our own thoughts and opinions with others. Oh, so the site you're talking about is, I'm guessing, either Fortune or the Wall Street Journal. You are not correct on either. It's actually the site of one of our new partners on the podcast this year, SAP Customer Experience. Though you'd never know it because it's only very lightly branded and it really focuses only on quality content, not on selling you anything. It's called the Future of Customer Engagement and Commerce. And the URL is www.the.com 
hyphen future hyphen of hyphen commerce.com. And if you didn't write all of that down, we'll include it in the show notes, but it is the future of commerce.com with hyphens between each of the words. And those six topics I listed before, they actually do map back to SAP's core customer experience product, which is called C4 HANA. So wait a second, I actually think I've already come across this site. I was doing some research recently and I found a bunch of great articles there. Jason Rose wrote a piece called What Customers Want. Jeannie Walters wrote one called How to Avoid CX Disasters. And Emily Moreau wrote about four ways to improve customer service. These were all great articles. And I agree with you, it doesn't it doesn't have a kind of a promoted site feel that some of the portal sites in the industry have. And I mean, let's be candid. That's why we're interested in partnering with SAP, because if we're going to recommend that folks go check out a site, we don't want it just to be a giant sales pitch. You know, every time I think I know something that you don't. So sure, of course, you've heard of this site before. <laughs> so query me this then, if you read that article, what do customers want? Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked. See, I spend less time on Twitter and more time on websites. What customers really want is a connected journey that's based on trust. Trust is by far the leading quality that humans look for and need in the relationships we maintain, whether it's in our personal life or at work or with the brands we choose to purchase from. Or at least that's what one of the articles on the site said. In fact, 81% of global consumers say that trusting a brand is a deciding factor in their purchase decisions. And once a company has gained the trust, they've also gained your loyalty. It does make you wonder why so many companies still have archaic policies and nuisance fees when trust is all they really need. Not to mention all those companies losing our personal data. So here's something I'll bet you don't know, that the topics on the site also get featured on Twitter in the form of a monthly CX tweet chat, which I actually got to participate in recently and was a ton of fun. And that allows readers to engage with the content and express their own thoughts on the topics. My friend, as usual, you are correct. I don't know the Twitters. I leave all the Twittering to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so do yourselves a favor, loyal listeners, and bookmark www.the-future-of-commerce.com for tons of great content that will inspire you to take the next step in your customer experience journey. And while you're at it, if you are not like Joey and you actually are on Twitter, <laughs> follow our friends at SAP Customer Experience on Twitter, and they are at SAP underscore CX. I follow them. They have great content, a lot of it from this site that they share onto Twitter, so it's a really good follow. Thanks so much to the SAP Customer Experience team for being great partners with the Experience This Show. Just because you have required elements of your business doesn't mean they need to be boring. It's time to get creative, have some fun, and make people sit up and take notice. Get your customers talking when you make the required remarkable. So although this is a required remarkable segment, it's actually based off of a great article in, of all places, I'm sure a place that you read quite often, Joey, People Magazine. <laughs> Only when I'm getting my hair cut, Dan, which is most people know is rarely. <laughs> so there was an article earlier this year uh, by Joelle Goldstein on People.com that is called Georgia Woman Wins $10,000 for Reading the Fine Print on Her Insurance Policy. 
And the subhead is, after years of constantly reading the fine print of documents, Donalyn Andrews's meticulous work finally paid off. Now, you can probably imagine the details of this story, and, and we're not going to go through the article, but I picked this out because we love to talk about fine print and legalese uh, on this show and how it can actually detract from the experience if you're not paying attention to it. And so this insurance company did something really cool and basically buried a prize within the fine print, literally knowing that nobody was going to read it until this fine woman found it and actually won the prize. So I absolutely love it. So as I said, we've talked about fine print before on the show, even way back in season one, episode 11, when we talked about iFlix, which is the Asian competitor to Netflix. And they have an email disclosure at the bottom that instead of saying the typical, you know, if you're the unintended recipient of this email, you must delete it immediately or we take your children, they start with a headline that says covering our butts. And what's awesome about it is it actually gets you to read the disclosure because it's interesting and the rest of it is is just as humorous. And that, of course, fills the lawyer's dreams of people actually reading it. And so that's what happened in this story. Um, I also uh, remember a, a test that I did when I was at Discover where we had an ad and as with most credit card ads, there were a lot of asterisks throughout it what? because there's You're fine kidding print, me. right? No, not at all. And uh, and what we did was we tested. I believed I was a psychology major, and also uh, I'm a marketer, so I believed that an asterisk had a negative connotation. That it basically told you there's fine print and there's something to look out for. So I did a test where the only thing I changed on the ad was I changed the asterisks to footnote numbers. Because I believed that a footnote number suggests there's additional interesting information, like when you see a footnote in a book or a scholarly article. Folks, he's not just pretty, he's smart. And believe it or not, we saw a double-digit increase in response rate by only changing the asterisks to the numbers. So this is a really interesting topic, and it's why I uh, picked out this article, because um, I love that this woman won that money and that the insurance company paid it. I think it's great. And I think it's great that the lawyers who wrote that fine print had fun with it. Now, whether it was them or the marketers involved in the company, who knows? But to be honest, uh, I went to GW Law School in Washington, DC, and I had a great legal research and writing professor. During your first year of law school, everybody is required to take a class called legal research and writing. And the point of the writing portion of that class was to try to get people to not write in legalese. That was the mission, at least of my professor for that class. And I remember very well, his name is Ken Kriveruka, and Ken was great because he was always encouraging us to eliminate the legal words and write in common language. You mean like Plain English? Yes, plain English, exactly. And to make it much more uh, legible, much more readable, much more understandable. And that's definitely something that I know there is a pocket of lawyers that are committed to. I know lots of times on the show and in my presentations, I make fun of lawyers and I usually excuse that because I am one. But I know that there are lawyers that pay attention to this. There is a legitimate concern that the lawyers have though, because disclosures have really turned into the CYA tool for any potential issue that you might come across. And so the best lawyers, I find, are the ones who are working with the marketing team to translate the legalese into something more entertaining. Now, quick story. On my website, uh, there is a privacy policy. Now, I don't collect any data, so there doesn't really need to be a privacy policy, but I put one on there just for giggles. And it's written 
to have the legal CYA uh, elements that I need, but it's written to be entertaining when you read it. And here's the funny thing. About once a quarter, someone will email me and say, oh my gosh, I'm rolling on the ground laughing. I just read your privacy policy. Thank you so much for having fun with this. So we try to practice what we preach. There is not, in my opinion, a business on the planet today that wouldn't benefit from looking at their rules, their policies, their descriptions, and trying to inject a little fun, a little humor, a little levity, something to make it more exciting. Now, I'm not saying you have to put in that there's a $10,000 prize, but what I am saying is you can connect with your customers in an entirely different way because some of them are reading the fine print. And just in case uh, people don't know what Joey's uh, legal acronym of CYA means, it's kind of the equivalent of iFlix's covering our butts, but use your imagination for what the A stands for. We keep this clean for the kids <laughs> so you can listen to the podcast while you're driving them to school, folks. Exactly. We don't want that explicit tag added exactly. on Exactly. No explicit for the experience this show. So I think there's also opportunities for disclosures and other terms and conditions to be interactive. Um, I've seen companies that have uh, definitions attached to words that customers aren't going to understand or that include pictures or even video in explaining some of the policies because a lot of people aren't going to read, but they might consume uh, a photo or a, um, or a video. And remember that the goal of disclosures and legalese is to explain the finer details to a customer. And, you know, I often get asked, uh, because I've worked in regulated industries, both in financial services and in healthcare, which can be really difficult, how do you deal with that as a marketer? And where I start from is that regulators often have a good customer experience sense in mind when they create the regulations. The problem then is that they tell us how to execute on them. And that is is generally um, going to be in a way that isn't that customer friendly. But if we start from the fact that the regulators, the lawyers, and the marketers all want customers to understand what they're getting themselves into, that we all should have the same goal of making sure that the disclosures are easy to understand so that people do get what they're going into. So I do think working together um, with those groups is probably the best way to make your language more understandable. So uh, I want to send my personal congratulations to uh, Donald and Andrews for her meticulous work, as the headline said, in reading the terms and conditions and for winning the $10,000. But the takeaway, obviously, is that it shouldn't take $10,000 to get people to read your legal disclosures. Take the time, read them yourself. If you find yourself falling asleep, drooling on the table, then that means your customers are doing the same thing and use language to create an experience. Sometimes all it takes is a single question to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is dealing with negative reviews. Ah, negative online reviews. Unfortunately, they're a part of doing business. Try as hard as you might. Customers are likely to encounter some frustration during a lengthy relationship with the brand, and they're not afraid to share it out in public. So it's how you react to these negative reviews that really matters. Use negative reviews as an opportunity to do better, not just for that one customer that you disappointed, but for any other customer that might encounter the same pain point or frustration down the road. 
In order to put this into practice, here are three things to consider when dealing with your negative reviews. Number one, track the common issues that are raised in your reviews through active listening or voice of the customer programs. Number two, develop proactive outreach to negative reviewers in order to help address their concerns and fix the issue at hand. Number three, create a strategy for tracking and resolving these issues. Don't make it a system of one-offs. You need to meticulously record and track these to make sure that every negative review is being effectively and efficiently addressed. Look, I've been talking about this for years. You need to respond to everyone who leaves you feedback. And the one exception there would be trolls. And we're not talking about trolls here. We're talking about people that have legitimate negative feedback and are leaving online negative reviews. Use it as a learning opportunity to fix what's wrong, but also respond to them and try to resolve the individual's problem. You will be shocked how many times I've seen in my career where somebody that starts off as a detractor gets their problem resolved and then becomes a company advocate. You actually turn them around to be somebody that wants to promote your brand because how you reacted when times were tough. So it's a huge opportunity to take advantage of. And I recommend that every company not be afraid of complaints because as I like to say the people who complain are the ones who care. The ones who don't care have already left for your competitor. And now for this week's question about dealing with negative reviews. What actions are we taking to address our negative online reviews? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own organization and then continue it with Avtex at experienceconversations.com. That's experienceconversations.com. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. So I'm super excited about this week's book report because it is by a great friend of the show and longtime customer service guru, John DeJulius. And he has a brand new book out called The Relationship Economy, Building Stronger Customer Connections in the Digital Age. And in the book, he argues that in spite of and because of the advances in technology, we've all become a little bit less connected with each other and that we have to get back to H2H or human-to-human interactions in order to build real relationships with customers and brands. We're going to have John tell us a little bit about his new book, The Relationship Economy. Today, we are living in the digital disruption era. Technology has provided us with unprecedented advances, information, knowledge, instant access, and entertainment. As convenient as these advances have made our lives, they've also changed the way we communicate, behave, and think, which has led to a dramatic decline in our people's skills. As a society, we are now relationship disadvantaged. The pendulum has swung so far over to high-tech, low-touch. And those who understand that human touch is the most important part of any experience, especially a great customer experience, will flourish. Personally and professionally, success is about creating and building human connections. Technological advancements are critical to every business staying relevant. However, 
Technology by itself is not a differentiator. The more you place technology between the company and the customer, the more you remove the human experience. For anyone in any business to thrive in the future, they will have to master the art of relationship building. Organizations now need to reinvent their business model to marry digital and human experience in the best way possible. In a relationship economy, the primary currency is the connections and trust among customers, employees, and vendors that create significantly more value in what we sell. These relationships and connections help make price irrelevant. The relationship economy is about building a culture that recognizes the importance of each individual and making everyone part of a community that is working towards something bigger a community that makes them feel cared for. The relationship economy is how strongly you feel about the people and businesses in your life. Relationships are the biggest differentiator in customer and brand loyalty. Relationships are at the center of all we do. Welcome to the relationship economy. I love this book and I love John's perspective on this. You know, I think it's really interesting that we live in an era where humans are more connected than at any other time in human history. You can be friends with someone, thanks to the internet, who lives on the other side of the world, who you've never met and you never will meet. And yet, if we talk to mental health professionals around the world, humans are experiencing more loneliness, more depression, more feelings of disconnection and dis-ease than in any other time in human history. So this idea of focusing on relationships and the power of building relationships, again, both in our professional and our personal lives, is so timely and so vital and so important. At the end of the day, Customer experience really is about relationship. If we boil it down to its core essence, customers crave a relationship with the businesses they interact with. And in fact, I would posit that it is more true today than at any other time in human history. We have so many customers that want to do business with people who are friends, that want to do business with brands that stand for the same things that they do. In many ways, it's kind of a reversion back to when we were more of an agrarian society where you uh, went to the general store and they knew you by name and you knew them by name and everybody was in it together working alongside each other. While businesses have grown, while technology has created distance between folks, that yearning for more relationship and more connection is truer today, I think, and is only increasing in the future. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I would argue, actually, that although the technology has caused people to feel further apart, I actually think social media is one of the things that has caused this trend. And the reason is, is that social gave consumers a voice for the first time, but it also gave them an opportunity to interact with brands that they never had the chance to do before, right? In the past, if you wanted to interact with a brand, you wrote them a letter or you called their 800 number, but that was really if you had a customer service problem. And now all of a sudden, we can talk to brands as friends. We can talk to them as uh, as really other humans, and we get messages back that are often signed by Sally or Steve or whatever. So there's a human on the other end. And that has built a different kind of relationship between consumer and brand than ever existed before. And I think what consumers are saying is, we like that and we want 
more of it. Well, and I think that reiterates her point, Dan, that idea of we need to respond to our customers on social. We can't, the days of being able, somebody putting an opinion or a critique in the suggestion box and that was the end of it are gone. The customers want that back and forth give and take interaction. Absolutely. So we on this show love to ask authors what their favorite passage of their own book is. And so here is John DeJulius reading his favorite passage from The Relationship Economy. Today's illiterate are those who have an inability to truly make a deep connection with others. Of all the skills that can be mastered, the one that will have the biggest impact on each of us personally and professionally is the ability to build an instant rapport, an instant connection with others, whether it be an acquaintance, friend, customer, coworker, or total stranger. This skill should be taught at home, in school, from pre-K to graduate school, and of course, in business. Unfortunately, it is rarely taught in any formal way. Make no mistake about it, the lack of social skills our society has today is the problem of business leaders to solve. And there's three ways we have to do this. Number one, use technology to perform basic tasks, alternative convenience for customers, enabling employees to focus on what is most important, building relationships that result in higher customer loyalty, retention, lifetime value, and job satisfaction. Number two, build a culture that creates emotional connections with your employees. Finally, number three, incorporate relationship building training for new and existing employees. I love it. I love the way John compares this inability to make deep connection to illiteracy. It's that important. This is such a crucial and vital piece of the customer experience and the relationship we're trying to build with our customers. You know, when I, and I read this book cover to cover, there's so many fantastic passages, but my favorite quote or passage from the book is as follows. Being a trusted advisor means demonstrating that no one cares about your customer's business like you do. You earn business by being generous with your knowledge and resources without asking for anything in return. John then goes on to give some specific guidance on how to become a most trusted advisor. You know, trusted advisor is a phrase that is bandied about in boardrooms and halls of business around the world all day, every day. But how do you actually do it? How do you get to that position of being a trusted advisor? Well, there's eight key steps. Number one, love what you do. Number two, get to know your customer, not only professionally, but also personally. Number three, be more committed to the success of your customer than they are. Number four, don't share how you can help them until you have completely understood what their goals and problems actually are. Number five, make sure your clients never meet anyone smarter than you at what you do. Number six, be honest and transparent, which segues to number seven, share bad news as soon as you can. And number eight, be a resource broker by making the right connections and introductions at the right time that will benefit your customers. I love how John talks about being 
a trusted advisor? Because in full disclosure, Joey, John has been a trusted advisor for me for many years. He's been a mentor and a teacher and uh, a guy that I can bounce ideas off of, which I really appreciate. So he is one of these guys that doesn't just write about it. He practices what he preaches. So I, too, really love the book. And my favorite quote actually is sort of a quote of a quote because it comes within the book from founder and CEO Sheldon Wolitsky of the Select Group, which is one of the leading IT recruiting and staffing companies. And here's what Sheldon said. I went out and hired a CXO, Chief Experience Officer, and his whole role is to make sure that customers are having an amazing experience. It's been an absolute game changer. We are just obsessed over this, and it's interesting. It's actually given all of our employees a little bit more of a purpose in life as well, and a purpose in their job. Before, we were focused on revenue and placing people, but now we are focusing on impacting lives, and that's what we've really done. It's really kind of the why behind why we do what we do, so it's been a huge transformation. And I love that because most companies don't yet have a chief experience officer, but it is becoming a title that is starting to be introduced. And I think it's a great case study to see that it can make a huge impact when the buck stops with someone on customer experience, somebody who is able to take that 30,000 foot view and see the entirety of the customer journey with your company. Folks, this is a great book. This is a great book for you. This is a great book for your team. This is a great book for anyone in your life that understands the importance of relationships or wants to reinvest and double down into the relationships they have. So go buy the book. Don't don't rent the book. Don't check the book out of the library. Okay, you can check the book out of the library if you really want to. But I'd encourage you to buy the book because this is the kind of book that you're going to want to come back to again and again. The book is The Relationship Economy, Building Stronger Customer Connections in the Digital Age by John DeJulius, a great speaker, a great author, a great customer experience professional. Go get The Relationship Economy today. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.